please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 11? Romans chapter 11. Is it loud enough, the mic? Yes. Michael, in the back there, is it good? So Romans chapter 11. And I want to invite you to stand if you can. And then we're going to move to chapter 16. So first, Romans chapter 11. Starting verse 33. All the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Now chapter 16. Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Labels are very important. Right? Here you have label telling us that's a water bottle. And some of you are looking judging faces because it's a Fred Meyer water bottle. But that is very important labels because if there was no label, you could be drinking ether, clear alcohol, not knowing, thinking that was a bottle of cold water. So labels are very important. You think about wine, grape juice, and vinegar. All three are claiming to be coming from the grapes. And yet how vital it is to know what you're using. Right? You don't want to have a kid's party and get a bottle thinking that it's grape juice and you're serving them wine or vinegar. So labels are very important. And it's important when it comes to church too. The label, the name that a church has. So if you are searching for a church or going looking for a church to visit and you see the label Pentecostal, you know where that church stands doctrinally. You see a label Church of Christ, you know where that church stands theologically. If you see the title or label Reform, you kind of know where that church stands. So there is this aspect where it's very important labels and names so we know what we are acquiring, what we are doing. On the other hand, unfortunately, we know very well the labels can be very deceptive and deceiving. We have, have, we have been having many issues as you read the news about deceptive labels, especially foods and drugs. The labels are stating natural, organic, sugar-free, light, protein. Many of these labels have been proven to be misleading. And actually, these dishonest labels were very well crafted in order to deceive people. And these misleading labels can also be found in many churches. That's sad. So, you think you're drinking a cup of cold grape juice, 
And instead, when you put it in your mouth, you realize that's nasty vinegar. And that happens in churches too. So you might attend a Presbyterian church hoping to hear a solid exposition of the scriptures since the Pres Presbyterian church comes from Calvin, one of the greatest expositors of the Reformation, to come to a church that has the name Presbyterian, and instead of finding a man being faithful to the solid exposition, you're going to find a woman telling her feelings from the pulpit. So, labels can be deceiving. You might go to a Baptist church because you saw the name Baptist there, hoping to see a church that prizes regenerated membership, as has been the historical roots of Baptists, to find a seeker-sensitive church who doesn't care about at all. Rege regeneration, commitment to the local church. Or you might Google Reformed churches near me and go visit a church that bears the name Reformed Reform Church to find out that there is nothing Reformed about that church. The name was given by a previous pastor, leader, and that church since then is not reformed anymore. So we do not want to be deceiving. We want to be honest when people find our church and people hear about our church and they come to visit us by reading the name of our church. We want them to know what we believe and what we hold as precious doctrines in our lives. Amen? Far from us to deceive and lie to people by having titles and labels that are not faithful and true to their historical commitments. So, this morning we're going to be looking simply as the name of our church, Salem Reformed Baptist. Today we're going to be looking at the Reformed aspect. So, why Reformed? And then what makes us Reformed? Well, the first is, why Reformed? Why, why are we called Salem Reformed Baptist? Why not just Salem Baptist? Oh, because there is another church that's Salem Baptist. <laughs> No, but that's not the reason. We, we made sure they would put the reform there. And we saw in our last sermon that lamentable people are losing the roots with the historical traditions. We have becoming a people without history. And no wonder we find ourselves where we are as a nation. We do not care about history anymore. And because of our ignorance of the past, we end up falling into the same errors, dangers, and sins that previous ones committed. And we do not want to ignore the past. We believe that God is in charge and He's working things and the past is important to teach us, to help us. And the Reformation, as we think about the past, why Reformed? Reform comes from the Reformation. The Reformation was a magnificent work of Christ in history. So why Reform? Because we are going back to the Reformation. So we need to understand, what was the Reformation? What was the Reformation? We call ourselves Reformed because we're going back to the Reformation. The well-known church historian, Philip Schaff, he says the following about the Reformation. The Reformation of the 16th century is, next to the introduction of Christianity, the greatest event in history. Bold words, that's his belief the importance of the Reformation. Next, or after the introduction of Christianity, the greatest event in history. Similarly, William Cunningham, another church historian, he says, 
the Reformation from Popery in the 16th century was the greatest event or series of events that happened since the close of the canon of scriptures. And the significance and the power of the Reformation is connected to what the Reformation achieved, right? Why it's so precious? Because of what they were able to achieve. And what did they achieve? They brought the Word of God back to the church. Chef writes, The Reformation was a republication, republication of primitive Christianity and the inauguration of modern Christianity. That's very important. Republicating something. We call reformation and not formation. Why? Because the reformers were not forming anything new. The word to reform comes from the Latin, the re, it's again to go back. We are going back to the ancient form that we are supposed to be according to the scriptures. So it's very important. The Reformation was not a time of new discoveries, but of rediscoveries. Rediscovering the ancient paths. That's why it's so important. Reformation is often called the Protestant Reformation. Why? Protestant Reformation. Because they saw that as a protest. And, and the, the labels were often coming from enemies. But it's true, that was a protest. They would say, oh, those are the protesters in a negative way. But it's true, they were protesting, protesting the perversion, the deformation of the church and the gospel. That's why they're called the reformers, the Protestant reformers. It was a protest through the proclamation of the scriptures. That's what they were doing. And think about how dark were those days during the reform, the great reform, the days prior during the Reformation. The days were so so dark that that was called what? The Dark Ages. And the reformers were able in church to bring the word of God back, and that light starts shining forth. And once the light starts shining forth, it affects the whole society. Stephen Wellam, he says, Beyond question, the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century changed Christianity for, forever. The Reformation was not perfect, but it was a mighty reviving movement of the Spirit of God which purified the church and called people back to the fundamentals of the gospel. In so doing, it removed from our thinking the emphasis on human, human autonomy and human tradition as equal in authority to God's Word. He says, the Reformation recovered the God-centeredness of all of life and thought by glorying in the triune God of the Bible. The Reformation emphasized the importance and yet pervasive depravity of human beings as image bearers. The Reformation stressed the utter inability of humans to save themselves thus proclaiming the need for God to redeem us by His sovereign grace alone. The Reformation exalted the glory, majesty, exclusivity, and sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone has, has, can accomplish salvation. And sadly, so many Christians have no clue about that. Dementia is a very sad thing. Right? When you hear about Somebody who is going through dementia, he has dementia. It's heartbreaking. And that's how we are in church. The church has a dementia of what God has done in the past, especially through the Reformation. And we don't want that. We do not want that. So, why Reformed? 
Because we treasure what the Lord of history, Jesus Christ, accomplished during those dark days. By bringing the ancient form, the ancient paths back to the church. We want our children, we want others to know how deeply thankful we are to the Lord for that time in history. The reason why you are sitting here, you have Bibles with you, we have different churches to go, sound churches to go, is because Christ Jesus, the Lord of history, placed man to accomplish that mighty work known as the Reformation. And we do not want to forget that. So it's very important. Why reform? Because we are going back to the great work of the Lord in reforming His church. When it was completely deformed. Amen? So we can move next to what makes us, what makes us reformed? And that is difficult. In having an official formal definition, there is no sort of thing as a trademark of reform. To be a reform, you've got to do that. You know, there is nothing like that. The, the, it's not like Starbucks or McDonald's where you go and you know where you're going to have. The reformers were not trying to create a label or a name. That was not their purpose. They were actually called evangelicals. They loved the name evangelicals. Why? Because they were going back to the Evangelion, the gospel. So even today, you can visit different churches that call themselves reform, and, and each church will be different. It will be different. And sadly, not all the differences are God-honoring. So you might go to a church that has the name Reformed, and they ordain women as pastors. So we know, especially here in town, that there was a split in a Reformed church here, because of the denomination, the, the re Reformed denomination started endorsing women as pastors. So there are Reformed churches that do not prize the centrality of the Word of God. There are Reformed churches that preach social justice as the gospel of Christ. So it is hard. It's hard to say, hey, here is what it is. It's fascinating that some, some Reformed scholars, pastors, especially you get from the Lutheran or Presbyterian Dutch Reform, they're going to say that Baptists can never be Reformed. Oh, they say that. Oh, it's a contradiction to be a Reformed Baptist. Because they believe that to be a Reformed, you've got to baptize infants. Since when? That was the, the fight of the Reformers. Since when the Reformers were fighting for the baptism of infants? Actually, Reformed Baptists are the true Reformers because we kept reforming where they stopped. Well, the same happens with Reformed Baptist Church. So you can say Reformed Baptist and you're going to go to different Reformed Baptist Churches you're going to have a different tastes. Some Reformed Baptists are going to say, I know some, they're going to say, you're only Reformed Baptist if you fully and perfectly agree with all the words of the 1689 Confession of Faith. So even among Reformed Baptists, there is different views and degrees of subscription to the confession of faith. So the question is for us here, why do we call ourselves Reformed? What makes us a Reformed church? And that's very important. 
And I think for us to, to say that, hey, we are reformed, we need to look at the Reformation. Look what, was, what is the heart of the Reformation? What were the reformers and the pre-reformers, as you read their writings, what they're fighting for, what makes a church reformed? And why we call ourselves reformed? So first of all, we need to look at the heart, the heart of the Reformation. Joe Beek writes, he says, The Reformation possessed at its heartbeat a devotion to the pure truth of the Holy Scriptures, especially manifest in the passionate exposition of the biblical doctrines of salvation by grace, through worship and the pursuit of holiness. And then he says, The Word of God preached was properly held to be the central engine for the breaking down of Satan's realm and the upbuilding of God's kingdom. So according to Joe Beakey, the heart of the Reformation was devotion to the Word of God alone. Devotion to the exposition of the Scriptures. And that's so true. As you read the pre-reformers, the reformers, their great emphasis was the Scriptures. Bring the Scriptures back to the church. Ian Hamilton, he says, and I have these quotes because I want to show you how different scholars here they are all in agreement that the heart of the Reformation was the treasuring of the Bible, the Scriptures. He says, Ian Hamilton, he says, the great 16th century Reformation happened because men like Luther and Calvin were brought to see that God's Word alone was to shape and define both our worship of God and how we appropriate the salvation of God. When we look at the Reformation, at the heart of the Reformation, we see a people who were eager to glorify God through the exposition, the proclamation of the Scriptures. Bring the Scriptures back to the center of the church. So we declare to be Reformed because we prize and we, just like the Reformers, our desires to always have the Word of God the center of our church, guiding us, controlling us. Timothy George, he says, The Reformation was necessary because at its heart was the Reformers' concern that the living voice of the Gospel, Viva Vox Evangelii, be heard afresh in, ge in their generation. And that's our concern also. Viva Vox Evangelii. The living voice of the Gospel being proclaimed, not buried under the traditions of man and words of man, but the living voice of God through the Scriptures. So if that's the great essence of the Reformation, brothers and sisters, we are Reformed. Because that's our treasure. We prize the Scriptures. That's why we can call ourselves, and we ought to call ourselves, Reformed. Because at the heart of this church is the same as the heart of the Reformation. Bring the Scriptures back to the church. Let the people hear the voice of the Good Shepherds through the exposition of the Bible. Amen? So that's what we see taking place, the heart of the Reformation. And as we think about also the, the, as the Reformation was taking place, there are some slogans or, mo or motos that they would start to use to describe the, the main doctrines proclaimed by the Reformers. And we know that, that those are the solas of the Reformation. Who here has never heard about the solas of the Reformation? Okay, good. So the solas, the, the Latin sola means only. Just, only. And that's what made the, the Protestant Reformation different from all other 
religions. Okay? You think about the Roman Catholics, they're going to say that you're saved by grace. They're going to say they're saved by faith. But it's never alone. Grace plus, faith plus, Christ plus Mary, Christ plus the saints. And that was the key difference, was the only that the reformers were declaring. And these five solas stand like signposts to keep us from swerving off the narrow road of the gospel. Matthew Barrett, he says, Historians and theologians alike have long recognized that at the heart of the 16th century Protestant Reformation were five declarations, or solas, that distinguished the movement from other expressions of the Christian faith. And we are reformed because we treasure, we hold dear to us this solace of the Reformation. And they were, uh, I have here, the, the foundation, the foundation of everything. Sola Scriptura. Scriptures alone. The Word of God alone. Then you can have faith alone. Or grace alone. You have Christ alone. And I put Christ in the center because Christ is holding everything together. Christ alone holds everything together. And in the top is solely Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Ultimately, everything goes up in the church. So, let's briefly walk through each one of these solas. The first one is sola scriptura, or scripture alone. And that was the formal cause, the formal cause of the Reformation. Uh, the formal principle, they would say, that was the pattern, was bringing shape to the Reformation. That's where they were coming and going to bring the shape that they desired in the church. And that is that Scripture is the highest source of authority in the life of the church. Scriptures. The Bible is the highest authority. Neither the Pope, nor the church, nor the traditions of the church, not even councils of the church, are privileged to hold the final sway over Christ's church. It's the Word of God alone. Some come to the Sola Scriptura and they, you, you understand their zeal, and I talked a little bit about that last Sunday, that they say, okay, so Sola Scriptura implies that we can never hold to any tradition. And that's not what the Sola Scriptura means. That's not what it means. The reformers never said scripture alone and nothing else. It was scripture alone and other things underneath. I like what Ian Hamilton he says. He says, We should, however, understand that sola scriptura is not nuda scriptura, naked scripture. Nuda scriptura says we only need the Bible, we do not need the wisdom of the church throughout the ages, no creed but the Bible. On first reading, this seems ad ad admirable, but appearances can be and often are deceptive. And he says, Sola Scriptura means that God's Word alone is our only rule of faith and life. It does not mean that we do not listen to and learn from the accumulated wisdom of the church throughout the ages. This is why creeds, confessions, and catechisms are so important. They help keep the church on track and from falling victim of the latest theological fads and fashions. The reformers themselves, if you read their, their writings, they're often using other authors. 
quoting authors from the past. Why? Because they knew that it could help as long as it's under, under the scriptures. And that's the problem sometimes even among Reformed people. We, we claim Sola Scriptura, but then we have the Westminster Confession or the 1689 Confession, the Heidelberg, or any other confession. Suddenly, these brothers start placing on the same level as Scripture. It's like, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. I think the 1689 is a wonderful confession, but I do not hold every single word there in the statement as infallible. I have some differences. It's a wonderful statement, faithful, broadly. So we embrace the historical faith, the trustworthy creeds, the confessions, as long as they're faithful to the teachings of the Scriptures and always under the Scriptures. Amen? So in this church, we embrace Sola Scriptura. The Bible alone is sufficient. The Bible alone is sufficient to save and sanctify Christ's church. We do not need entertainment to save people. The Bible alone is sufficient to feed the flock of Christ and make them more like Christ. Paul says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we hold that as true. Jesus said, Men shall not live by bread alone, by what? By every word that comes from the mouth of God. And that's what we hold in this church. And if you were able to go back in the Reformation, and if you were able to visit the churches that were part of the reform, the Reformation that was taking place, one of the primary things you'd realize was the furniture in the church, how it had changed. That was the mark of a reformed church, contrasting with the Roman Catholic Church. Because you'd come to a Roman Catholic Church, and the main thing is what? The table. The Mass. And you'd come to a Reformed Church, and the main thing was what? The pulpit. Bring the pulpit to the center of the church. And I love solid, strong pulpits, where the Word of God is there. Sometimes people come with the idea, oh, let's get the plastic, cute little thing. And yeah, there is its use, but not in the church. You know, I don't care if you think it's ugly, if you don't like. We like something solid. And when you have our building, the pulpit's going to be there. It's not going to move from the center because that's where it's controlling the church. Over us. Guiding us. Amen? So, sola scriptura. The word of God alone. And also, sola scriptura, it's important because... It helps us, deliver us from the temptation to fall into the charismatic Pentecostal movement where we need to hear something new from God. We believe that all that God has spoken to us through the Scriptures is sufficient. It's enough. We are not interested in new revelations, in new dreams, in hearing the still small voice. We have the thunderous voice of God right here. We do not need new things. We need the old things. Remember, we do, not need, we do not need new revelation. We need the old revelation. That's all we need. Amen. So, Sola Scriptura. Uh, the next one is Sola Gratia. Grace alone. So, as the Word of God was open, they could realize that it was all by God's grace alone. Grace alone. Grace alone, not human goodness and effort, save sinners. 
Grace alone calls us out of darkness. Grace alone re regenerates us. Grace alone justifies us. Grace alone sanctifies us. Grace alone quickens us to life in Christ. So that's grace alone. Sola gratia. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when you were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Him, and what? By grace and grace alone you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Amen? As we sing here, it's your grace from beginning to the end. We will never comprehend why you drew the ones who ran from you. It's your grace. So we embrace, proclaim, treasure this wonderful doctrine. Solus Christus. Solus Christus. That's the center of all the solas. He holds all the solas together. Solus Christus speaks the, of the exclusivity of Jesus and the exclusive glory of Jesus in saving His people. Only Jesus Christ, Christ alone is the mediator that we need. Christ alone is our prophet, king, priest that we need. And we have Christ alone as the center of the Bible. We see that through Luke chapter 24. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted them in all the scriptures the things concerning whom? Christ alone. He's the one who holds the scriptures together. And Christ alone in salvation, saving sinners. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men must be saved. And you know that Peter is talking about whom? Christ alone. Amen? Next, faith alone. Faith alone. Sola fide. And that was very important during the Reformation. You think about the Roman Catholic Church saying that we can be made righteous not by imputation, but by infusion. And the Reformers said, no, we are made righteous by imputation through faith. Through faith in Christ, our sins are imputed to Him and His righteousness is imputed to us. And faith is the instrument that God uses to unite us to Himself. To give us His righteousness. He, I, I have said many times here, the word faith, the Hebrew, comes from Amen. 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 That's the Hebrew word where you see, and Abraham believed God, when he, and the Ninevites believed the Amen. What is to Amen. When you say amen to somebody who is praying, what, what, do you, what are you doing? You're embracing as your own. Amen. What this person, what this brother is praying, is my prayer also. And that's exactly what faith is, to embrace Christ. And that's the instrument that God gives us. We saw in Ephesians, it's a gift of God. that He gives us to embrace Jesus. And it's, this embracing is always an embracing with repentance, kicking the old life behind. Amen? I like what Biki and Smiley, they say, they say, faith alone, not our works, or faith combined with works, is the instrument by which the sinner is justified from the guilt of all sin and counted righteous by God. And then he says, faith is like a hand 
not a hand by which we bring our merit and worthiness to God, but an empty hand by which we receive and take hold of Jesus Christ as our only atonement and righteousness. Amen? The empty hand, I need that. Not here, here is my righteousness. No, I need your righteousness. I need Jesus. So faith alone. Faith alone. Uh, last one. Soli Deo Gloria. The last sola here of the five that we saw. Soli Deo Gloria. The glory of creation. The glory of redemption. The glory of sanctification. The glory of glorification. All goes to one source. The triune God. And Him alone. We read earlier here. He doesn't share His glory with any other. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be what? Glory forever. Amen. And brothers and sisters, we are, gonna, we are going to develop this, especially the sola gratia and the soli del gloria, as we go through the doctrines of grace. When you go through the doctrines of grace, you're going to see that we are developing what we believe to be sola gratia and soli del gloria. The five points known as the five points of Calvinism, the five points of the gospel, where we see the grace of God alone be manifested for His glory alone. We're going to walk through that later. But I just want to let you know, we're going to develop this, especially these two solas of sola gratia and soli del gloria. So, there's one other aspect of the Reformation that's very important as, as you read the Reformers, and I think it's vital in the life of a Reformed church, is the emphasis in the Embracing of God's sovereignty over all things. If you read the Reformers, you know how delighted and comforted they were that God was sovereign over all things. The Reformers knew that the same God who was sovereign over creation, over the exodus, over the death of Jesus, and the expansion of the church after Pentecost, was also sovereign over the Reformation. They knew and declared that the Lord was so sovereign over their death, the death of the martyrs, the suffering of the church, the persecution, and the conquest and expansion of the church. God was sovereign over all. So the sovereignty of God was the cornerstone of the Reformation. But not simply the sovereign of, sovereignty of God over all things, because most Christians will agree with you when you say, is God sovereign? Oh yes, God is sovereign. Over all things, yes, over all things. But once you start digging, you start realizing that they do not believe that. And I think one key aspect was that the Reformers believed in the sovereignty of God over all things, in particular, the salvation of sinners. The salvation of sinners. So you read all the major confessions of faith coming from the Reformation, there is a major emphasis on the sovereignty of God. That's why we read this morning on the providence of God, how He works all things for His glory. Amen? One, there's one other motto or slogan that was related to the Reformation that was placed later. And that was called Semper Reformanda. That was the, w one of the slogans later created. And, and the, this, it was a whole sentence called, and the sentence went like that, Ecclesia Reformata Semper Reformanda Secundum verbum dei. The Reformed Church always reforming under or according 
to the Word of God. The Word of God must be constantly reforming us, not letting us be deformed by worldly teachings. The church must be constantly being reformed by the Word of God alone. Reeves and Chester, they write, The Reformation was always intended to be an ongoing project. That's why I say, Reformed Baptists are the true Reformers. Because we kept reforming the ordinances where they stopped. The Reformation was always intended to be an ongoing project. One of its slogans was Semper Reformanda, usually translated as always reforming. But a better translation may be always being reformed by God's Word. It describes not a movement forward to some uncharted horizon, but a continual movement back to God's Word. That's what we saw last Sunday, the ancient paths. That's what we want. A church always going back to the ancient paths. Because that's the only way for us to move forward, by going to the Word of God. So, that's what makes us reformed. The heart of the Reformation. The centrality of the Scriptures. The sovereignty of God. The solas of the Reformation. And brothers and sisters, these five solas, the things that we saw, will always be relevant to the church. Because they summarize the gospel. It's a summary of the gospel of Christ. That's why it's always relevant. We do not idolize the reformers. There is no idolatry here of reformers or of creeds. We do not idolize Calvin, Luther, Zwingli, William Tyndale, Martin Bucer. No, we don't idolize anybody. We honor what they did. We, we, we respect the majestic work that God did through them. But their writings, their doctrines always come under the scriptures. So, when people ask you, why Reformed? What does it mean when you tell them, oh, what church did you go to? Oh, Salem Reformed Baptist. Why Reformed? Reformed? Why Reformed? You have no excuse now. You know why. And you can explain. And it's a beautiful time to explain what it means to be Reformed. We are reformed because we hold to the centrality of the Scriptures in the life of this church. The Word of God alone controls, governs, and gives life to His church. The preaching of God's Word takes central place because the Word of God alone takes the central place. We are formed, reformed, sanctified by the Scriptures alone. And we do not want new revelation. We want the old revelation that God has given us. We believe and declare Christ alone. Christ alone is sufficient to bring us back to the presence of God. Christ alone can forgive sinners. Christ alone is what gives Scripture's coherence. So, let us fix our eyes on Jesus alone, the author and perfecter of our faith. We join our voices with Peter here in this church and we declare that salvation is found in no one else. Not Buddha. Now Muhammad, Joseph is me. No, none of them can bring you to God's smiling face. We declare that faith alone is 
in Christ alone, by grace alone, is God's instrument to make sinners to be declared righteous in God's sight. We do not believe by being born in a Christian home or attending a good church, we will make you righteous. You need to trust Christ. And that trust implies repentance and a life that is always pursuing after Christ. We believe and proclaim the offensive doctrine of grace alone, sola gratia. Everyone deserves God's judgment. That's what we believe. That everyone deserves God's judgment. And only by grace alone people can be redeemed and rescued. No one is free to save himself. Grace alone through the work of the Spirit alone makes us alive. Amen? And we live for God's glory alone. That's the goal of this church, to glorify God, to honor Him with our lives. And we want to always, always be reformed by God's Word. Never let other things come and deform us, but always going back to the Word of God so the Word of God can keep reshaping and reforming us to be the church that Christ loves. Amen? Oh, what a joy to, to be able to this glorious doctrines that Christ has given to His church. Father, we, we thank You. We thank for this time together. What a, a beautiful and sweet time of fellowship, praising You, worshiping You. And Lord, we pray that all these doctrines that we just heard about and we, we embrace, that we treasure, that they would continue being the foundation of this church. Lord, deliver us. Deliver us from the temptation to, to be relevant and cool. Help us to be faithful. A faithful servant. I pray that we look to this church and see a church that strives to give all the glory to you alone. So help us. Ground us in the scripture alone. Grace alone, faith alone, and all because of Christ alone. In Jesus' name, amen.